Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Hope you're staying that alone. It's an exciting season to celebrate the birth of Christ. I wanted to give you a big update. The uh, class, or not the class, the service we're doing over at uh, Stone Creek, at, no, Meridian at Stone Creek is going very well. In fact, my father uh, gave the message this last Wednesday, and keep on praying for them. It's kind of exciting. They'll be coming to our Christmas Eve service, so they're going to be taking a bus from over there, and I think there was five or six of them signed up to come on over, so hopefully we'll be able to welcome them at the Christmas Eve service, but just keep on praying for them. Uh, what a wonderful group of people, and what a great mix as well. In that uh, room, we have Catholics, we have Lutherans, we have Presbyterians. Um, it's just a really fun group. I wear a suit and tie and uh, do my best. Um, we sing out of the hymnal. I, I just, it's been really fun. Yeah, uh, the dry cleaning bill has gone up since that service started. But, <laughs> but really, honestly, uh, thank you so much for uh, being a part of this and being a part of what God is doing in this community. It is exciting. And, and thank you for the tags. You know, that's, that blows my mind. Last year, we did 10 tags. This year, we did 37. So just praise the Lord for that. Last year, we did 75 boxes. This year, we did 85 boxes. And so just thank you so much for being a part of that. I also wanted you to know, um, how many of you, well, I'll just ask the question. How many of you have gone to like uh, walk to Jerusalem down at the Adventist or maybe seeing a Christmas tree or Scrooge? Have any of you been to any of those things? So we went to seeing Christmas last night. Have you, uh, I think it was the first show they had this season, so you probably haven't seen the new one. First time I'd gone to that was two years ago and I was blown away. Like this isn't a performing arts theater. This is a church. And they put together such a wonderful presentation. Or maybe how many of you have watched any of Taproot uh, Theater's Christmas productions at a church? Right? It, it's so amazing. And one thing I would encourage us to um, just support what other churches are doing as much as we can. You know, be a part of that. It's really easy to say what's wrong with church. In fact, if you want a lot of followers on Twitter, just say what's wrong with the church. And you'll have a whole gaggle of people jump on that. But for me, and, and, and I believe my wife as well, we feel a passionate call to some support what God is doing in churches, pray for churches. I'd love to see LifeSpring be that same place so that when you go in, so if you go see Scrooge, if you see the Seeing Christmas Tree, begin to pray for them. You know, pray for their leaders as you see the leaders serving, as you see them pouring out their lives to tell the world about Jesus. Uh, just encourage them. Uh, make sure that you are uh, one to actually uh, encourage one another more, even as the day approaches. Uh, so I, I just would say that to all of us. Um, I know we're not the biggest church, even though, by the way, I don't talk a lot about this, but our numbers are bigger than we've ever had. So that's kind of exciting. But uh, we're not the biggest church in the world. But I believe if we each have the attitude of how can we be a part of the bigger body of Christ, the bigger expression of God, and be an encouragement to those uh, that are the body of Christ that maybe are in these four walls, um, I think we can make a huge difference. I think as we encourage other leaders and other churches and volunteers in other churches, as we uh, cheerlead, as we root them on, as we encourage them and pray for them, uh, I, I think we could make a tremendous, tremendous impact. We might be small, but I believe we're mighty. All right? Are we good with that? And we got two more weeks just to encourage uh, all these churches that are trying their darndest to tell the world, to shine the light, tell the world that Jesus Jesus, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus actually came to this earth. Well, one thing I've been talking about the last couple of weeks, I know makes some Christians squirm. I've been talking about Santa. And I kind of like talking about Santa because I know a lot of my Christian friends just can't stand it. So um, I'm talking about Santa again today. 
And one of the things, as a kid, I, I always stressed about, and I stressed about everything as a kid. I, I stressed about eternity from the minute I was conscious, I think. I, I, I stressed about those types of things. But it was, how can Santa do this? How can Santa get all those toys, all those good boys and girls? One of my thoughts, one of my theories was just that the naughty list was so big that there was actually a small list of actually good uh, boys and girls, and so that's how he did it. The other thing, my parents, they always told me that Santa won't come unless you fall asleep. Well, that's stressful because how many kids on Christmas Eve are so excited to, to have Santa come? And so then what are you doing? You're like, fall asleep, fall asleep. Please, Jesus, let me fall asleep. Please. And then you're like, it's one in the morning. It's two in the morning. Ah, Santa's not coming. So maybe I'm the only one that's stressed out like that as a kid. But there's a clip from the Miracle on 34th Street. We've been showing it the last couple of weeks. And in today's clip, Chris Kringle uh, he kind of gives an explanation of how he's able to do it, how he's able to get to all these houses in one night to all these good boys and girls. Let's watch the clip together. <laughs> all right well now you're now you know how santa's able to do it it's funny I, first of all, i said maybe some of you aren't buying it and there was a man towards the back who was just like so yes i get it there there might be some doubts in this room but it, it leads me into today's sermon which is that a part of the miracle of christmas is the miracle of the method the miracle of the method that God sending Jesus to this earth, which is the miracle of Christmas, God the Son being born in a manger, that miracle, there's the miracle of the method, the miracle of how he did it, right? That as much as Santa's method of delivering toys around the world is beyond what we could understand in a much more powerful and a much more important way, God's methods are beyond our comprehension. Paul talks about this greatness of God a few times in his letters. In Romans, chapter 11 of Romans, he describes this greatness of God. Listen to what he writes. He says, The depths, oh the depths, of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, and I love this part, untraceable his ways. You see that passage in that verse, he's, he's focusing on the greatness of God, that his wisdom that his knowledge, they are great beyond measure. His methods are beyond our understanding. And so as human beings, when we look to God and we look at his ways, we have to understand that his ways, they often will not look like we think they should look. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. If, if I was writing a script on the redemption of mankind, right? If I was writing it, uh, you know, God's salvation plan, and, and well, it's God's salvation plan, not mine, so there you go. That lets you know that I'm not writing it. But if I was writing it, I certainly would have written it differently than God because when God wrote it, he chose to come to this world as a helpless, defenseless baby. When, when God wrote it, God chose to be born to humble, poor parents. When God wrote it, he wrote to be born 
Where? Not in a palace. By the way, if I was writing it, that's exactly where he would be because I know he's the king of kings and the lord of lords and I'm putting him in the palace. But no, that's not where he put him. Instead, God put him in a stable. He gave them, uh, he was born to a young couple and we love uh, Mary and Joseph, right? We know they're good people. They have a good heart, but they were not people of influence. They were ordinary, plain human beings and yet they are the ones who God chose to be the parents of his son, Jesus. I'm just being honest. It is so different than the script that I would have written. I mean, right? I mean, it's God the Son coming to earth. But there's a very familiar passage from Isaiah 55, and that was great that she quoted Isaiah 53, uh, this service. But uh, you've heard this before, but it's truer today as it ever has been. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I just want to say this. Praise God that he is God and I am not. And praise God that it's God's methods and not our methods. Praise God that it's God's methods and not my methods. Now you see the difference throughout the history of man. The difference in God's methods versus our methods. You see this difference in his interactions with man. His methods, his decisions, his ways. They've consistently been just a little different, sometimes completely different than what we would expect. You read this in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's these stories of God's methods. I was thinking about Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham. This is how the Bible writes God's interactions with Abraham. Listen to this. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. So Abraham went out, and I just, this part floors me. He went out, what does it say? Not knowing where he was going. Wow. God's method... (laughs) was to call Abraham to go. And Abraham, a man of faith, what does he do? He goes, but the Bible says he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. Wow, God's ways are not my ways. I was thinking about it. When I'm interacting with God, I want him to tell me every step of the way. I want him to tell me the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then if I get the beginning, middle, and end, I might take a step forward, right? But yet, what does he do? He says, Abraham, go. And Abraham obeys. He puts his faith in God. I was thinking about Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. He's the next youngest son of Jacob. And it's an incredible story. He saves his family in the most unlikely of ways. Remember when he's talking to his brothers. His brothers, who, by the way, had faked his death. But this is what he says to his brothers. He says, brothers, (laughs) you intended to harm me. Let's be honest, you did. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. He intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Lifespring, that's the miracle of the method. When God chose the nation of Israel, he chose the least significant nation, and yet he chose it to be his special people. When he chose David, remember David, he was a shepherd boy. And there was all these sons, older sons, that, uh, of da- uh, uh, brothers of David that 
he could have chosen to be king, and yet he chose David to be king. He chose Bethlehem. Remember Bethlehem. It was a small, insignificant spot on the landscape of Israel, and yet he chose Bethlehem to be the birthplace of his son Jesus. Over and over and over again, God chose plain, ordinary people, and he chose ordinary places through whom he could do his extraordinary work. And he did it in ways, and he did it by methods that no one could have predicted. You see it again and again in his word. Not, by the way, how I would have drawn it up on the whiteboard. Go to Jesus' birth. You're going to see this in Jesus' birth. In, in Luke's account, and we, each, we gave you each a scroll of Luke's account of Jesus' birth, you would know that Mary and Joseph, they had to go to Bethlehem. Why did they go to Bethlehem? Because there was a census. And it says, while they were there, while they're in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, who was a son. She wrapped him in cloths. She placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Did you catch that? Where did she place him? She placed him in a... She placed him in a what? A manger. A manger. A feeding trough for animals. I'm, sh- I'm sure, you know, Joseph being the good husband that he was, he probably tried to clean it out as much as he could, probably got some fresh straw and put it in there. But it still was what it was. It was a manger. That's not how I would have written the story. And then afterwards, to celebrate the occasion, remember what happened, the angels announced the birth of Christ. Well, that's good, right? That, that sounds good. The angels coming in, they're going to announce the birth of Christ. Yeah, now I, I think I would have written that part. But do you remember who they announced it to? Not kings, not queens, not the political leaders, not the religious leaders, right? Shepherds. Shepherds who are out in their fields watching over their flocks. The more you think about it, the more it's just this story. It's incredible. It's almost unbelievable that part of the miracle of Christmas is this miracle of the method that God chooses ordinary people in ordinary places to accomplish extraordinary things. There's a song that was written, and I, and I believe this song communicates this in such a powerful way. I've asked my wife Mary if she would come up and sing this for us. And, and as she sings, pay attention to the words that she's speaking and pay attention to this miracle of the method. Inside this stable filled with hay 
You see it in his birth. You also see it in his earthly ministry. Have you ever read, read about the miracles of Jesus? The miracles of Jesus while he was on this earth? It's pretty incredible when you look at his miracles. I've noticed when you read about Jesus and his miracles that the method is always a little different. He heals people in so many different ways. Sometimes he lays hands on them. Sometimes he takes mud and he puts it in their eyes. Other times he says, stretch out your hand. Other times he says, take that mat, get up and walk. Other times he goes to a dead man and he says, rise. Sometimes he rebukes the sickness. Other times he casts out demons. There are so many different ways that he heals people. To me, they seem so very unpredictable. You see this miracle of the method after his death and his resurrection. Following his resurrection from the dead, what does he do? And where does he go? He, he goes and he first appears to a group of women. Remember that? He appears to Mary Magdalene. He appears to Mary, the mother of James, to Salome. Now, he didn't, maybe what I would have done, he doesn't first show up to the temple, right? Go to the Sanhedrin, go to those religious leaders and go, Ta-da! Told you so! Now, if I would have written the script, Jesus goes to the temple and zing it. No. What does he do? He shows up to his followers. He reveals himself 
to his followers. And then after that, he does something I still question the Lord about. He reveals himself to his followers, but then before going back to the Father, he gives them, his disciples, the responsibility to go and make disciples of all the world, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them. To this small group of followers, Jesus entrusts the good news of salvation. Think about the magnitude of this. The salvation of this this world rested in the hands of these few followers of Jesus. Simple, ordinary people. Again, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions, his methods, his ways. Paul comments on this miracle of the method in 1 Corinthians. And I, I love this passage. He shows us how God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary work. I want you to pay attention to the, the specific words that Paul uses, but I also want you to think how it might apply to your own life. It's in 1 Corinthians. He says, Brothers, sisters, consider your calling. Consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. That's an amazing scripture, church. Consider your calling. Not many wise, not many powerful, not many noble. No, he's chosen the foolish, the weak, the insignificant, the despised, those who the world, by the way, has labeled as nothing. He's used those people to bring those things that are viewed as something down to nothing so that no one can boast in his presence. And that's how God's been operating since the very beginning. That's how God is still operating today. December 11th, 2016, God is still using ordinary people in ordinary places to accomplish his extraordinary work. In fact, I heard a pastor say the other day, and I love this. He said, our abilities are not as important as our availability. Right? Our abilities, what we think we can or cannot do, they're just not as important as our availability, our willingness to say yes, to obey what God is calling us to do. God has called us. God has entrusted us with this good news of salvation. I don't always understand his plan. I don't always understand why he chose to do it this way, but it's his method, not mine. Hallelujah. And God is going to see it through. He will accomplish his plans and his purposes on this earth. And glory to God and praise God that though we might not feel that we deserve it, God has chosen you and me, simple, ordinary vessels, to accomplish great and mighty works. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And I think as we go into these next couple of weeks, right? We got a couple of weeks before Christmas. I would encourage you, keep your eyes open to how God would want to use you to reveal himself and to reveal his love to those around you. I think we often too quickly discount ourselves as being unworthy, right? To be actually used in God's plan of salvation. We're simply not good enough. But LifeSpring, he's not in the cosmos up there somewhere waiting until you're good enough before he chooses you. I want to say this. I don't even know if you believe in this, but I want you to tell, tell you that he isn't waiting for you to get over all of your addictions. 
He isn't waiting until you no longer say the F word. He's not waiting until you no longer wear that miniskirt or if you're a guy, that V-neck that's cut way too low and, and you know the one I'm talking about. He might not wait. I might wait until you get rid of that. But he's not waiting until you stop playing the video game or stop going into debt. Today, right now, in this second at 12.02, all he's looking for is faith. He's looking for a willing heart that will obey him right now. Regardless of what you've done leading up to this point right now today, he is looking for faith. He's looking for one who is willing to say yes to God. Now, of course, those things that you're doing that aren't in alignment with God's best for you, whether it's choice language or maybe immoral practices, whatever it is, I'm just going to trust God that by His Holy Spirit, He's going to train you up in righteousness. He's going to convict you. He's going to lead you in and out of those areas. But your past choices, even the ones that you made on the way here, they do not define your ability to be used by God. See, we need to remember this Apostle Paul, who I love, and I quote the Apostle Paul all of the time. I love his letters. But we need to remember that before the Apostle Paul was Paul, he was Saul. We need to remember he was Saul. The Bible says this about Saul, that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. The Bible says he was a Pharisee, knowing the law better than anybody else. The Bible says he was zealous in his persecution of the church. His passion, his life's devotion was persecuting anyone who believed in Jesus. Remember when Stephen was stoned? You know who was there? Saul was there. He was there. He was watching it. And by the way, he wasn't watching it trying to stop it. He wasn't there trying to save the life of Stephen. The Bible says he was there giving approval to his death. But then the Bible says that one day, Saul was on the road to Damascus. Remember that? He was on the road to Damascus. Do you know why he was on the road to Damascus? Yeah, he, he talks about it in Acts chapter 22. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus. And I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Saul was going to Damascus to capture Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. Church, I was thinking about it. If a man like Saul came to me, wanting to serve in the church or to lead in the church, in my flesh, I don't think I'd be too open to that idea. You have the audacity... You have the gall to step into this church after you've killed my brothers, killed my sisters, harmed my family, and now you want to come in and you want to leave? Are you kidding me? And yet, God's ways are not my ways. God's thoughts are not my thoughts because that's what God does. That's what he does. You know the story. What does he do? He blinds Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. But listen to this. He says, but get up. Get up and enter the city, and it will be told what you must do. And church, at this point, with all that Saul had done against the Lord, all that he had done against Jesus, my Jesus, as an enemy of Jesus. 
The Bible says that at that very moment, that second, Saul got up from the ground. The, man that he, the men he was with led him by hand into Damascus. In that supernatural moment, the Lord called Saul to be part of his plan of salvation. And Saul radically obeys the Lord. And then listen to what happens next. There's another man in this story. In verse 10, it says, Now there was this disciple in Damascus, and his name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But then Ananias answers, Lord, hold up. I I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind up all who call on your name. But the Lord says, no, Ananias, go. Go, Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And then look at Ananias. Look at this man of God. Even though in his flesh, his response, I think, was similar to most of our responses would have been. Like, wait, are you, are you sure you're talking about the right Saul of Tarsus? I mean, Saul of, you know, Edgewood maybe, not Saul of Tarsus. But no, go. And what does he do? He says, yes, yes, God, I'll go. He radically obeys the Lord. Verse 17, it says, Ananias departed and he entered the house. Like, this sounds so poetic and beautiful now, but can you think of what that must have been like. And after laying hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road when you were coming, he sent me so that you could regain your sight so that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight. He got up. He was baptized, took some food. He was strengthened. And Paul's life is beautiful, right? We, we see as the story unfolds, he gets a name change, right? <laughs> Saul to Paul. He probably becomes one of the greatest missionaries and church planners this world has ever known. But we need to remember who he was when he was called. In fact, the Bible gives some other descriptions about Saul. The Bible says that Saul was the worst of sinners. The Bible says that Saul was breathing threats and breathing murder against the disciples of the Lord. This is the man that Lord uses to preach to the Gentiles. This is the man that the Lord uses to tell the known world of the time, both Jews and Gentiles alike, that God had sent Jesus to save everyone of their sins. It's the miracle of the method. A miracle. He uses a man that, I'm just being honest, I don't think I would have picked. And the plan that he draws up is a plan I wouldn't have drawn up. But again, his ways are not my ways, his thoughts are not my thoughts. And hallelujah, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And some of you need to hear this today. That God is showing us through Saul who becomes Paul. That it doesn't matter how you came in to this building today I don't care what name they've been using to call you by it doesn't matter how you started on that road to Damascus what matters today what matters to God is that when God speaks to you wherever you might be on that road what matters to God is that when God comes to you when he meets you on the road that in that moment in that supernatural moment in that second what matters is that you radically say yes to God to say yes 
to God, even when it doesn't make sense, to say yes to God, even though you know your friends and your family will call you a fool, to say yes to God when you know he's asking you to take a step, but you know that you don't know the next step or the next step. All you know is the one next step, and you don't know where you're going. But what matters in that moment is when God calls you, when he chooses you, that you would radically say yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. And that brings up a good point, and I hope you're able to follow with me on this one. See, as human beings, I've noticed that we want to try to earn the right to be called by God. We want to earn the right to be used by God in amazing ways. So if we say enough good things, if we do enough good things, then, you know, ta-da! And then God will finally be impressed with us, and he will finally choose us. But that's not what the Bible teaches the Bible says it isn't about us. It isn't about we've, what we've done. It's about God and what he has done. It's about God calling us. It's about God choosing us. And we need to hear this this morning, that the Bible says that God chooses adulterers, God chooses thieves, God chooses murderers. And I believe that God even calls people like me. calls people like you so as we close when you experience that call of God in your life just I warn you that is not the time to bring out your list your trophy case of all the good things you've done to say yes here I am God and look what I've done and now you can use me no when he calls when he speaks over your life that is when we humble ourselves. That is when we bow down as we were singing in worship before the Lord, our God, our maker. We say, oh God, oh God, to hear from you, Lord, to hear from you, God, to be called by you, to be chosen by you, God. I humble myself. I bow down before you. And though I'm scared and though I'm anxious and though I'm worried and though I don't even know what's going to happen in this moment, I declare in faith, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, God. Oh God, I say yes to you to radically obey the voice of God. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. But I say yes to everything you might be wanting me to do. Yes to wherever you might be wanting me to go, whatever you might want me to say, I'm saying yes to you, God. And here's the deal. The method it's not always going to make sense to our rational minds, right? I mean, I, I want to figure it out at that level, but there are things that he has done, things that he is doing that I just can't wrap my brain around, right? There's, there's, there's things of God that definitely I do not understand, but I'm not here to try to muster up some faith to put my trust in me. Today isn't about putting trust in me. Today is about putting trust in a God whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts, whose ways are higher than my ways. His methods are beyond my comprehension. And if God wants to use an ordinary guy from an ordinary town to accomplish his extraordinary work, then I say, kind of in fear and trembling, okay, here am I. Send me. And church, that's available for every one of us today. Every single one of us today. Every single one of us.
today. He's still in the business of using ordinary people in ordinary places to do extraordinary things. He's still calling sinners to be saints. He's still in the name change business, still calling Saul's to be Paul's. He's still choosing the weak to shame the strong. Don't discount yourself today. If there's anything you could grab a hold of and take with you, it's that phrase. Don't discount yourself today. God doesn't discount you from being a part of his plan. If God of the universe doesn't discount you, then you shouldn't either. I want to say that again. If God doesn't discount you from being a part of his plan, then you shouldn't either. It's time for all of us in the beauty of his presence to humble ourselves in his presence to receive this miracle and to radically say yes to God. Would you pray with me? Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Heavenly Father, how wonderful you are and how great you are, how great your, rich, your riches, how great your wisdom, how great your knowledge. But God, I just confess it is impossible for us to completely understand your methods. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. And God, I just want to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness for the, the countless times, really, that I have tried to put you in a box. To put you, the God of the universe, in a neat little box. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. Jesus, as a church, we just confess that sometimes we're frustrated by you. We just are. Sometimes we're confused by the things that are happening in our lives. Would you help us by your spirit to be reminded of your love today? Reminded that you are still alive and that you're working for our good and for your glory. Help us by your spirit. Help us to trust in you, God. To trust in you even when we don't understand what you're doing. Lord, you're still in the business of choosing ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things for your kingdom. So God, I just pray, continue to speak to this church. Lord, do not leave us. Do not take your presence from us. Be with us. Inhabit the praises of your people and speak over your people. Speak over the people in this church. Speak over them this week, Lord. Speak over them your plans and your purposes. And God, may we be the ones that say yes to what you choose us to do. God, I know for me, as for me and my house, we're going to serve you, God. We're going to praise you, God. For the, the rest of the days that I'm on this earth, I am going to sing your praises and I will proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, I just want to say in this moment to rise up in faith and I say, God, use my life in however you see fit to use it. God, use my life. Use my days. Use my mornings and my evenings, my night time. Lord, use it all to extend your kingdom on this earth. Lord, I don't always understand it, but I thank you for giving us the responsibility of sharing this good news of salvation with the world. God, we're your disciples. We're your ambassadors. And we say in this moment that we will carry the name of Jesus with us wherever we go. We will represent your kingdom and the authority of your kingdom wherever we go. And God, it is a privilege and an honor to do so. And Lord, I, you know, we got a couple weeks here before Christmas and lead us, lead us well. Lord, you have a plan for this world. Over the next two weeks as your plan unfolds, would you strategically place us, whether it's in our workplace or our homes, 
or on roads or in traffic or in grocery stores. Lord, strategically place us in positions where we can be conduits of your love. Put us in places, maybe even places of hostility where we can be ministers of your grace. And Lord, even maybe plant us in places of darkness so that we can carry your light. Speak over us, speak in us, speak through us. Lord, this is the place. These are a people who say yes to you, God. We are a people of faith. We will say yes to you, God. Submit to your plans, your purposes. You know, as we continue to pray, let's just use this time, this, this moment with the Lord, just between you and the Lord. Just share your heart with him, and you can do that in the quietness of this moment, just that you would let him know that you're here to obey his call, that you're here to say yes to him. Again, just between you and the Lord, you and God. Yes, God, yes, Lord. Lord, that we would stop defining how you're going to move and where you're going to move. We would submit to your plans, your purposes, your will. Jesus, the idea that you're already moving in this land, we, we want to be a part of what you're already doing. So give us new eyes to see, ears to hear how you're moving. God, would just forgive us for when we need the beginning, middle, and end before we take that step. God, in this moment, we want to be Abraham's. <laughs> that we would take that first step, not knowing where we're going. But if you call us, we'll obey the call. If you call us, we'll obey the call. If you call us, we'll obey the call. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.